Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, um, Orlando. And I too would like to thank everyone for your participation on the call today. And today is today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, HER2 Positive Metastatic Breast Cancer, What's New in Treatment and Quality of Life? And this is a very important program. It's one that I know many of you have been requesting that we offer. Um, and today's program is supported by Segan and an educational grant from Daiichi Sanko, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support to this program. Now, we have a lot of you on the call today. There's over 247 participants on the call today. You come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we have international participants from Australia, Canada, Iraq, Israel, Lithuania, Nicaragua, Spain, and the United Kingdom. So it's a global call as well. And it's really a credit to all of you that you have chosen to spend this next, really this next hour with us, actually. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Generosa Grana. Dr. Grana is Medical Director, MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper, the Cooper Health System, Professor of Medicine, Cooper Medical School at Rowan University. And Dr. Grana will be addressing HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer in the context of COVID-19, biomarker, genomic, and diagnostic testing, grade and hormone receptors, standard treatment options, including targeted therapy, and key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Grana. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner. It's a pleasure to be here and to join this group. To begin, what is HER2 new positive breast cancer? It's a variant of breast cancer in which the cells express an overabundance of a protein called the HER2 new or human epidermal growth factor receptor 2 protein on their surface. These cancers have a more aggressive behavior than their other types of cancer, but are exquisitely responsive to drugs that target the specific pathway and protein. So these are very exciting times to be dealing with this disease. These cancers can be defined by the testing process. So you, as you're seeing an oncologist, will hear terminology such as IHC or immunohistochemical staining where the cancer is labeled as 0, 1, 2, or 3 plus. 3 plus is positive for the HER2 new protein. 2 is equivocal, and traditionally 0 and 1 are considered negative. You'll hear terminology such as FISH, fluorescent in situ hybridization, and that's either positive or negative. But not all is so simple, and at times these can be, uh, there can be some ambiguity in the testing process, and your oncologist will work with the pathologist to clarify this. In addition to the HER2 new protein, uh, HER2 new positive cancers may or may not be estrogen receptor positive. So the final determination, which will guide treatment, is whether the cancer is hormone receptor positive and HER2 new positive or hormone receptor positive uh, and HER2 new negative. 
based on the sensitivity to endocrine therapy. So really it's both endocrine therapy responsiveness and HER2 new therapy responsiveness that's going to guide the final selection of treatment. What is metastatic HER2 new positive breast cancer? That's disease that has spread beyond the breast and the local lymphatics. Uh, bone, lymph nodes, lung, liver, brain involvement make a woman have metastatic disease. The majority of women in the United States have a prior breast cancer diagnosis uh, and then go on to develop metastatic disease. Therefore, they already have a cancer team guiding them and giving them their diagnosis and going through the workup that I'm going to review. Some women, 10 to 15% of patients in the United States, present with metastatic disease as their first diagnosis. They need to pull together a cancer team, and a lot of this terminology will be new to them. In other countries, these percentages are very different. How is it diagnosed? It can be diagnosed with signs and symptoms of disease in the breast, disease in the breast or enlarged lymph nodes, or with symptoms of disease such as shortness of breath, abdominal pain, bone pain, headache, or with laboratory abnormalities such as a high calcium or a high alkaline phosphatase, or abnormal liver studies, or anemia. Or it can also be found on imaging abnormalities, oftentimes a scan that was done for something else for another reason that shows an abnormality that then raises the possibility of metastatic disease and workup ensues. And what's the appropriate workup? It entails making a diagnosis of metastatic disease, assessing the extent of disease because that will affect prognosis and treatment plan, and then finally determining what the appropriate treatment plan will be. And the determination of the treatment plan depends on uh, the features of the cancer, the extent of disease, but also the goals of the patient uh, and a big discussion between patient and, and care team. We begin with a biopsy. We would like to biopsy a distant site, number one, to prove that it is breast cancer and not another malignancy or a benign condition. There are things such as benign bone islands that may show up on a scan that are not a cancer. Some people may have another malignancy, such as multiple myeloma in bone or other abnormalities. So it is critically important to confirm that you're dealing with metastatic breast cancer. Secondly, it's important to try to repeat the estrogen and progesterone and HER2 new receptors uh, on this new area of metastatic disease because in up to 20% of cases, there can be a difference between the primary cancer's features and those of the metastatic site that may change treatment selection. And finally, it's important to get tissue for more sophisticated testing that can aid in treatment planning now or for the future and can also guide clinical trial enrollment. You will hear about genomic profiling or next-generation sequencing or precision medicine, and that's basically very uh, specific testing that is done on the cancer cells. It can be done on a tumor or it can be done on blood. It is particularly useful in women with triple negative breast cancer and in women with estrogen receptor positive disease, but even in HER2 new positive disease, it can guide us in terms of other options for treatment. So that entails 
a piece of tissue being sent out to be analyzed for genetic markers that are involved in that cancer's uh, progression. You may hear terms such as Foundation One, Keras, or there are institutional tests that your institution may be doing. Again, some institutions will do the testing on tumors, some will do the testing on blood, uh, but the reality is that that information can be useful to guide treatment. Once a diagnosis has been confirmed and you've determined the status of your estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 nu, the next step is looking at staging studies, what we call the studies that are done to assess the extent of disease that can guide us. And that means CAT scans, bone scans, or PET scans in some patients. An MRI of the brain may be done if there's symptomatic disease. Labs are done to assess organ function. Tumor markers, uh, which are proteins shed by the tumor into the bloodstream, uh, are done and if elevated can be followed to assess response to therapy. You may also hear about circulating tumor DNA that is now being used in some situations to follow disease, uh, although that field is still evolving. Now, COVID-19 uh, has uh, impacted the treatment of breast cancer. It led to a lot of delayed diagnosis early on in the course of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, with mammography facilities uh, being shut down, restrictions on, on cancer care. But I'm happy to say that most of this has been reversed and most centers are fully back in operation, have safe services and have a full complement of services. The key is working with your team to make sure that uh, your vaccination uh, status is assured uh, so that you minimize chances of infection at any time. Now, how do we treat metastatic her new positive disease. The choice really depends on what drugs a patient may have received previously because, as I said, most patients have a prior diagnosis of cancer, how long ago that therapy was given, do they have residual side effects such as neuropathy or cardiac dysfunction because many of the drugs that we are going to be talking about will have some component of those things, and some drugs can be used once and not again. So it is critically important to look at what treatment someone has received previously. It is critical um, to think about whether there is a significant life-threatening disease. Disease in the liver or lung is what we call visceral disease, and that's important because that we tend to treat much more aggressively, whereas in disease that is only in bone, we may choose some slightly less aggressive approaches. And again, based on the estrogen status, estrogen receptor status, um, we will have different options. We may choose to go with hormonal options versus not in addition to her two new targeted therapy. But in the treatment planning, I think it's critically important that the patient's wishes are also top of mind, um, a discussion about goals of care, a discussion about which toxicity is uh, acceptable and which is not. Now, in 2022, we have an amazing array of drugs uh, with excellent activity in her 2 new positive disease, and it really has given us a whole uh, variety of options. Um, and in addition to thinking about 
drugs that we're going to talk about, at every step of this process, a patient and their team should be thinking about clinical trials and whether there is a trial that may be appropriate that will maybe improve their outcome. So clinical trials are always one of the things that we think about early on. In terms of treatment options, first, there was a drug called Herceptin, uh, H-E-R-C-E-P-T-I-N, or trastuzumab. Uh, the second drug that came onto the market was a drug called Pergeta, P-E-R-J-E-T-A, or pertusumab. Uh, and a second, uh, that, those two drugs have made tremendous impacts on this disease. They are often used in the early stage setting, and they may be able to be used again depending on how long ago the treatment ensued. A third drug that was developed was a drug called Cadzilla, K-A-D-Z-Y-L-A, or adotrastuzumab tanzine, and it basically is called a chemoconjugate because it has a Herceptin bound to a chemotherapeutic agent called emtanzine, and it's a very effective drug. But a drug that has really moved up in terms of the, the space in which it lives is a drug called Enhertu. E-N-H-E-R-T-U, which is also an antibody drug conjugate um, that is very effective. So in many situations, uh, NCCN's guidelines have given us information to say that maybe we should be using that earlier in the course of disease ahead of Cadzilla because it may have uh, an improved outcome. The fortunate thing about this disease is that we have many other drugs. We have neratinib, N-E-R-A-T-I-N-I-B, Ticurb, T-Y-K-E-R-B, which is a small molecule, uh, margituximab, and a variety of other options. We also have the choice of combining a variety of chemotherapeutic agents with her two new targeted therapies. So, for example, we rarely give Herceptin and Progetta alone. We often will give them with a chemotherapeutic partner, whether it's Taxol or Taxotir or Abraxane whether it's Zalota, whether it's Navalbean, but often these drugs are used in combination with a HER2 new agent. We have a variety of hormonal agents that we can combine with HER2 new targeted agents if the patient has her estrogen-responsive disease and has limited aggressiveness of their disease, for example, nodal disease or bone disease. So again, the team and the patient need to make that determination. Patients fortunate to go into remission are maintained on drug therapy, often indefinitely, and unfortunately, we don't have an answer as to when is the appropriate time to stop therapy. Many questions still remain. What is the novel, uh, you know, what novel regimens can we use? What combinations are most appropriate? How do we combine these drugs that I've mentioned with immunotherapy, which is the new hot topic? How do we combine these drugs I mentioned with agents such as CDK4-6 inhibitors? Uh, you've heard of drugs such as Verzenio, V-E-R-Z-E-N-I-O, or Ibrance. I-B-R-A-N-C-E, uh, those uh, group of compounds, how can we combine them with her two new targeted agents to optimize outcome? So I would say that a patient who's facing the diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer has a lot of treatment choices, and the key is working with their team uh, to uh, 
select the choices that are preferable for them that have the appropriate toxicity profile, but keeping in mind that this will likely uh, be a long-term relationship and there will be opportunities to get to many of these drugs in the future. And with that, I'll stop. Oh, thank you, Dr. Grano. That was an exceptionally stellar presentation, very comprehensive. And really, you set the stage for the program, the entire program today. Um, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate your being on this call. It's, it's just wonderful to have you. Um, thank you. And um, our next speaker is Dr. Sarana Shamsi, and um, she's um, Associate Professor um, of Medicine, Jacoby Center for Breast Health, Mayo Clinic Cancer Center, Jacksonville, Florida. And Dr. Shamsri will be addressing how biomarker testing informs treatment decisions, new and emerging targeted treatments, updates on investigational new drugs and clinical trials, how research contributes to treatment options, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, and discussion of open, mo open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Shamsri. Thank you very much, Dr. Messner, for inviting me. And um, thank you, Dr. Grana, to, uh, that outlined um, the her two positive um, breast cancer treatment landscape. Um, Dr. Grana already gave the excellent um, overview on you know, her two positive breast cancer. So I think I'm going to start with you know, how biomarker testing kind of inform our treatment decision. So I think her two is actually an great example of how, you know, identifying the great biomarker, um, you know, that will help um, us guide how to treat patients. So as Dr. Grana mentioned earlier, HER2 is a, a protein uh, that expressed on the surface of the cancer cell. It's overexpressed over in about 25% of all breast cancer. So we use multiple treatments now that target HER2 either by small molecules inhibitor or um, antibody um, or antibody drug conjugate. Um, and um, besides HER2, um, there are also many other um, potential biomarkers that kind of um, uh, being studied in HER2 positive breast cancer now particularly um, things like next generation sequencing to identify certain potential targetable mutations um, in cancer. Um, most of the mutations now that we identify um, in breast cancer and has some treatment that targeted um, these treatment things like PIK3CA mutation and now that we have the drug called Apalisib, most of those treatment currently are being um, treated in other type of breast cancer, particularly in yeah, positive HER2 negative breast cancer, but then there are some newer studies that looking at sort, um, you know, those kind of medication, particularly targeting PI3K, uh, AKT pathway in HER2 positive breast cancer too. But that those uh, medication are still in. Um, clinical trial and research. Um, and besides um, those um, potential targeting um, mutations, um, there are also multiple um, new um, biomarker testing that are coming out right now, but most of these things are still in the research realm that looking at patient's immune response. Um, uh, uh, toward um, the t certain treatment. And there are also some um, interesting um, 
uh, studies, things like gut microbiome and other things that are coming out too. Um, so for the um, treatment that are emerging new targeted treatment in HER2-positive breast cancer, as Dr. Grana has um, mentioned earlier about some of these new drugs, so we are truly in, you know, very exciting time for the treatment for patients with HER2-positive breast cancer because we do have multiple new drugs that come out uh, for patients with metastatic HER2-positive breast cancer. Um, in the past um, two to three years, we have three new drugs that just came out. Um, you know, um, the first uh, one that I want to mention is um, the drug called Tucatinib or Tukaisa. Uh, uh, so Tucatinib is T-U-C-A. T-I-N-I-B. So this particular drug is a small molecules inhibitor. Um, it is better than the, the older generation of the small molecules inhibitor because it's very, very specifically targeting the HER2 um, compared to the other drug called Tycurve or Lapatinib um, as well as the other drug called Neratinib which is um, inhibitly, uh, inhibit um, pan-HER um, receptor. Sometimes when you inhibit too many receptors then you end up with more um, side effects um, um, with, with the drug. So with the tucatinib, because it only specifically inhibits the HER2, the side effects that are related to other receptors like EGFR, which is considered as HER1, uh, with the diarrhea and rash, um, seems to be less. And based on the clinical trial, tucatinib seems to work really well, particularly in patients with HER2-positive breast cancer that has brain metastases when cancer has spread to the brain because the small molecules inhibitor can actually penetrate into the blood-brain barrier well and it worked well with that. Um, the other drug that Dr. Grana also mentioned a little bit is the drug called Magitoximab. So this is the next generation of the antibody that help um, uh, inhibit the HER2 and it's also help improve immune, patient immune system to attack um, her two positive breast cancer. So this particular drug is spelled M-A-R-G-E-T-U-X-I-M-A-B. Um, so this particular drug is similar to Herceptin nortrituzumab that it has the same binding to the HER2 receptor on the surface of the cancer cells. But um, they, uh, we actually, uh, the company actually genetically engineered the FC portion, which is the other portion of the antibody that would help attract the immune system to help your body fight against cancer. So this particular engineer um, FC portions actually has the increased binding affinity, and it helps patients um, who has the weaker allele called F allele that you know would normally um, cannot attract the immune. Um, what we call antibody uh, ADCC or antibody drug cytotoxicity well. So when you um, change this FC portion, this particular drug can attract the NK cells and T cells to attack the tumor better. And it has been shown to be better than um, pertuzumab, particularly in later line of therapy. Um, and the very exciting new drug that we really excited about is that NHER2 that Dr. Grana also mentioned a little bit earlier too. So it's E-N-H-E-R-T-U. So NHER2 is a um, new second generation of antibody drug conjugate. So what antibody drug conjugate is that it's um, 
um, you basically link the very potent chemotherapy to the antibodies. In this case, it's a uh, tortuzumab or Herceptin. So once the antibody binds to the HER2 um, protein on the cell surface of the cancer cells, um, then the cells actually eat up the complex. So sometimes people call this kind of treatment as a Trojan horse, right? So you put these, um, you know, soldier right into the little horse, and then the CD doesn't know it, and then it's, um, you know, taken to the horse right into the CD. And then, um, you know, after that, once the cancer cell, um, you know, eats up the complex, the lysosome um, inside of the cells actually has the enzyme that would break the linker. The linker come out, um, the, uh, the chemo, the linker, it's break and then the chemotherapy is released and kill the tumor right inside of the tumor cells. Um, so the first generation of um, antibody drug conjugate that we have is Catsyla um, or K-A-D-C-Y-L-A. That particular drug, because of the linker, it's very specific and the chemotherapy kind of only stay inside of the tumor that has the HER2. This particular drug only works, you know, the chemo only come out and kill the tumor cells that has the HER2. But on the other hand, we know that in real life in HER2 positive breast cancer, there are heterogeneity of the HER2 expression in the cancer cells. So some cancer cells may not express a lot of HER2. So you miss the opportunity of killing the um, surrounding tumor cells that doesn't have enough HER2. So with the NHER2, which is the second generation, um, this particular drug has a, uh, what we call bystander effect. So when the chemo um, come out and kill the tumor cell, it's actually also leak out to the um, surrounding cell around it and actually can be able to kill the surrounding cells around it. So we saw the data from the Destiny Breast O3 trial. It actually showed that when we compare this new drug, NHER2, to the old drug, Catsyla, it actually has 72% improvement in the um, outcome when you use um, this particular drug. So that is very exciting. And some of you might have already heard of um, the new trial, the Destiny Breast O4 trial that now taking into to the next level that we actually show that this particular drug is also work well in patients with lower HER2 expression, or which was conventionally considered as HER2 negative. So for the other new treatment that currently in the clinical trial right now, um, we do have a multiple array of CDK4-6 inhibitor, which is um, now the drug that approved for patients with HER2 negative breast cancer that has estrogen receptor positive. But um, that, um, based on the previous um, preclinical data, this drug seems to work well with HER2-positive ER that has estrogen receptor positive too. So there are multiple um, clinical trials now that looking at these agents, things like pulbociclib, ribociclib, and abimaciclib in patients with estrogen receptor positive, HER2 positive breast cancer too. Um, besides that, there are some other very um, interesting new drugs on the horizon, things like what we call bispecific T-cell engager or BITE, so B-I-T-E. Uh, this particular drug basically has um, antibody that bind to two things. So things like tortuzumab normally just bind to the HER2 receptor, but this new, um, newer generation of the antibody actually has sort of like a two arm. So one arm is that they can actually drag some of the um, immune cells like CD3 T cells or CD8 T cells into your peripheral blood and then drag it right into the tumor and, and the other side would bind to the HER2. So with this drug, um, there are some drugs that's already been um, FDA approved but using other indication. Um, but there are 
uh, multiple um, bites um, by specific um, antibody drug now that uh, has been studied in clinical trial in HER2 positive. Um, and beyond that, there are also um, some other newer um, class of drug called uh, biparatropic um, ADC, which is basically combining the ADC, that antibody drug conjugate technology, with the bite technology that I mentioned earlier. There are also genetically engineered T cells called CAR-T um, that um, is currently in the clinical trials too. Um, and CAR-T, basically, they take out um, patients um, on T cells, genetically engineered outside, make them stronger and uh, and then uh, be able to attack certain molecules on the cancer cells um, that we um, genetically engineered the T cells to do. So CAR-T um, is already been uh, approved in some other type of cancer like lymphoma that target CD19, but there are also clinical trials now that looking at these agents um, to target her too. So here at Mayo Clinic, we do have clinical trials that looking at some other next generation of immunotherapy, thing like um, cancer vaccine. So I have a clinical trial that going through a crew consortium across um, uh, the U.S. Um, that looking at um, her two new vaccine that basically we have um, uh, multi-epitope her two um, um, vaccine that can uh, stimulate patients' immune response to attack her two positive breast cancer. And we're hoping that our vaccine would um, synergize and work better uh, in combination with these drugs, things like trastuzumab or um, trastuzumab intensive like Capsila. So we have the clinical trial ongoing right now to look at that in patients with uh, early stage breast cancer that has uh, residual disease after new adjuvant chemotherapy. Um, and uh, for the research um, contribution, you know, we cannot do, um, you know, all of these new clinical trials and exciting data um, that came out, you know, um, actually came for, from all the patients and, you know, providers that put patients on the clinical trial. So you can see that it is very important for us to, um, you know, trying to get patients on the clinical trials. Um, and it also will help you, um, you know, gain the access to these new and exciting drugs. Um, you know, on the other hand, we never know that you would respond well to the new treatment or not. Um, but, you know, when you're in the clinical trial, um, you know, your provider, your doctors will closely monitor how well you do with the treatment. But as you can see that in the past few years, we have all of these new exciting trials that coming out and that really show, um, you know, significant improvement in outcome of patients uh, with HER2 positive breast cancer. And by participating in the clinical trial, this is one of the ways that will help you be able to gain access to these new drugs. So um, I think it's important for, um, you know, for providers and also patients for you to maybe perhaps discuss with your provider about the options of participating in the clinical trial. Um, and I also agree with Dr. Grana that mentioning, you know, it probably might be a good idea to discuss with your providers earlier in your care about, you know, considering clinical trial because you don't want to, you know, um, go into the clinical, consider clinical trial like much, much later in um, the treatment of your cancer because later on you might feel 
quite sick and, you know, very weak from the previous um, treatments and chemotherapy. So it's always a good idea to keep these things in mind. And lastly, I'm going to end with, you know, how you can prepare for your telehealth medicine and appointments and new technology. Now with the um, COVID-19 era, most of the um, uh, follow-up uh, can be done with the telehealth medicine. Uh, most of the time, you only have a certain short period of time that you talk to your providers on the telemedicine appointment. So it's always a good idea to kind of have a, a list of notes and questions that you have that you would like to go over with your providers, have it ready so that you can go over some of these questions with your provider quickly during the visit. And with that, um, I will end. Thank you for having me again, Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Shamsi. That was an excellent and outstanding presentation to Stella and lots of wonderful information. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Paolo Tarantino. And Dr. Tarantino is the research fellow, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Harvard Medical School, Medical Oncology Fellow, European Institute of Oncology, University of Milan. And Dr. Tarantino will be addressing preventing and managing the side effects of HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer for approved and emerging treatments and how to prevent or mitigate these side effects. It's my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Tarantino. Thank you so much for the kind presentation and invitation. I'm really glad to join this program. And I believe that Dr. Grana and Shamsi already provided an amazing um, overview of the landscape of traditional and novel anterior 2 drugs that we have and they are really improving outcomes for patients with HER2 positive and also HER2 low uh, breast cancer. And the thing is that the activity itself of these drugs often allows to improve the quality of life compared to older treatments. And so this is one main point. For instance, we have heard about this new drug, HER2 or Chasuzumab deruxican, that has recently shown unprecedented results in the Destiny Breast or 3 trial that was a, or a trial that compares Trastuzumab deruxican to another conjugate, Trastuzumab emtanzing, showing an improvement in outcomes. But also recently we have seen data on quality of life, and quality of life was also improved with this novel conjugate. So this is the, the first point I would like to make, that often novel drugs really can improve outcomes and quality of life, even by keeping the, um, the tumors uh, control for a longer time. And apart from this, of course, some drugs can have side effects and we have to learn to manage these side effects optimally. And the traditional side effect that has been observed, although rarely, with anterior true antibodies is cardiac toxicity. And so we know that it's very important to monitor cardiac function with um, echo or with other management techniques that can be used. And usually the, the time frame to do so is every three to four to six months, but it's important to be sure that during this drug, the um, cardiac function remains constant and there is no drop in the, in the way the heart functions. Apart from this, many or old and new drugs can have gastrointestinal side effects. And we know that one that has been observed with, with many drugs is nausea, but we are learning to manage that. And for, for instance, both with Tucatinib 
And with Trastisima, Duroxacan, we know that this can be an issue and it has to be um, managed as, uh, as soon as it arises, but also sometimes it has to be prevented. So, for instance, we recently um, understood that Trastisima, Duroxacan is a moderately emetogenic drug, and so it's important to give before treatment some drugs to avoid uh, nausea and vomit to avoid that, that happening. And also patients have to be aware about these side effects to have an easy access to drugs to, to avoid nausea and vomit. Apart from that, an important side effect that is emerging, mostly with novel antibody drug conjugates, although it has been observed more rarely with other intuitive treatments, is what we call interstitial lung disease or pneumonitis, which is an inflammation of the lungs, which once again is rare, but it's important to be aware of this possibility because if it happens, it's important to stop the drug that is causing this side effect and to start appropriate treatment, which usually involves steroids. And so this was observed in around 10 to 15% of the patients receiving trastuzumab deruptican has been observed also with other um, antibody drug conjugates. So in about 1% of the cases with trastuzumab and tansin, also with other novel conjugates that have been developed. And so it's very important. What we have observed is that the, the rate of this side effect has decreased in time in the studies based on our understanding of how to manage this side effect. So it's really important to detect it, to, to do scans during treatment, and to remember to do them with an appropriate uh, timing. So when you're receiving this kind of treatment with novel conjugate, it's uh, important to be scanned at least every 9 to 10 weeks in order to be sure to capture one of these side effects, even when it's not symptomatic, because very often it, you can just identify it with a radiological scan and it has no symptoms. And apart from this one, of course, bothersome side effect that we would like to avoid is alopecia. And we are learning that scalp cooling can really help with alopecia with many traditional chemotherapies. However, we are starting to learn or, or to try to learn also with this novel drugs, novel conjugate, if scalp cooling can help avoid, prevent alopecia. And right now there is a trial ongoing at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute where we are trying to start, where we are studying um, scalp cooling for patients receiving trastuzumab durusecan, sasetuzumab govitecan, or trodelvi, which is another conjugate that is used, however, in triple negative breast cancer. And in general, we are trying to understand even if this drugs work in a different way compared to traditional chemotherapy if scalp cooling can still be helpful to prevent alopecia. And I said that these drugs are different from chemotherapy, but at the same time, they do have some chemotherapy-related side effects like alopecia, like nausea and vomit. And just like these, they can also have sometimes neutropenia. And so it's important also to monitor the, the blood counts during treatment with, with these conjugates, and some of them are more likely to cause neutropenia, some others are less likely. Trastuzumab druxan was not associated with high rates of uh, neutropenia, but for instance, the trodelvi that I mentioned is associated with higher rates, and sometimes you might be suggested to start treatment with growth factors, which are drugs that help keeping the white blood counts up and allow to continue treatment 
with these drugs. In general, we are learning that it's very important to manage appropriately these side effects because some of these drugs, treatment with some of these drugs might last for a long time. For instance, in the trial that I mentioned, Destiny Breast 3 trial, the median time that the patient were on this drug is, was about two years. So for a patient that receives a drug like this for years, it's very important to find the best way to have the quality of life preserved, where at the same time be able to continue treatment with a drug that is effective and is keeping the tumor in control. And I think I'll finish here and start the Q&A. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Tarantino. That was really outstanding, just a wonderful, stellar presentation. So thank you all. And now it's really my great pleasure to introduce my colleague, Dr. Ms. Lauren Chatelian. Ms. Chatelian is an oncology social worker. She's Director of Advocacy at Cancer Care. And she'll be discussing Cancer Care's free programs and services, our hope line and website. And it's my pleasure now to turn this program um, over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner. Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services and information to help people manage the emotional, practical, and financial challenges of cancer. Cancer Care's comprehensive services include case management, counseling and support groups, educational workshops, virtual community programs such as coping circle workshops, publications, and limited financial assistance. There are many aspects of a HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer diagnosis that may be addressed throughout psychosocial supportive services, making informed treatment decisions, quality of life concerns, and communication with one's medical team are important top topics that can be discussed with an oncology social worker. A cancer diagnosis can be very overwhelming. Additional support and guidance, as well as establishing a supportive network, may help to relieve feelings of anxiety related to one's diagnosis. Individuals diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer may also choose to supplement existing social networks by joining a support group. Cancer Care offers national breast cancer support groups online, including a metastatic breast cancer patient support group. The online support groups take place using a password-protected message board format and are led by professional oncology social workers. Registration can be found on Cancer Care's website, cancercare.org. At cancercare.org, there's also a wide array of reading material and information related to metastatic breast cancer. This includes recorded Connect Education workshops, breast cancer publications and resources, as well as stories of health and hope and the Cancer Care podcast, Cancer Out Loud. People diagnosed with cancer may experience practical and financial concerns throughout one's treatment. Cancer Care's case management services are a short-term strength-based approach to case management where the case manager will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. If you are interested in learning more about the support services Cancer Care offers, I encourage you to call Cancer Care's National Hope Line at 1-800-813-4673 to speak to one of our oncology social workers. We are here to offer you support through this experience and look forward to hearing from you. It has been such a pleasure to be part of this very informative program today. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to speak. I will now turn our program back to Dr. Mesner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Chatelian. That was really outstanding. Just a stellar 
um, presentation of all the services that people can access from Cancer Care. And I should let you know that you're all going to get a SurveyMonkey evaluation tomorrow. We do like that you fill out the evaluation, but the evaluation will also include any links or any websites or phone numbers that we gave out during the program and others that we may think of that would be of use to you. And now we have time for questions. I'm going to ask Orlando to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. And we're going to take as many of your questions as possible. Orlando? Thank you. Thank you. And if you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. A voice prompt on the phone line will indicate when your line is open. At that point, please state your first name and last initial before posing your question. If your question has been answered, press star 2 to remove yourself from the queue. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Thank you. Thank you so much, Orlando. And we have a question, um, and I'm going to direct this question uh, to Dr. Um, Shamsri. Um, I'm sure the topic of, and I'm going to spell this E-N-H-E-R-T-U, will be discussed. I keep reading it could be used for HER2 low breast cancer, and even heard a UCSD oncologist say it has a role in triple negative breast cancer. It would be helpful if one of your speakers explained what all this means. What is her too low? Will there be a new test? I don't know whether this is. Um, so, I'd like to hear more about this. This is a. Um, you could say something about this. Okay. Um, so for her too low. So most of the time, like in the past, when we to talk about her too, uh, we normally just have two categories, right? So her too positive versus her too negative, which is like black and white. So in order to call, to be called her two positive, um, the protein expression of the her two on the cell surface has to be higher, meaning that like if you do the immunohistochemical staining, um, like you normally heard of the things called IHC, uh, it has to be more than three plus, and that means more than thirty percent of the tumor cell expressed the her two at the strong um, staining. Um, on the other hand, um, as I mentioned earlier, that NHER2, which is the new generation of the antibody drug conjugate that can have that bystander effect that it can kill surrounding cells too. So um, they found that this particular drug also works in patients with HER2 lower expression, which we normally would have considered as HER2 negative in the past, um, like IHC or immunohistochemistry, one plus or two plus. Like you can have like a little bit of tumor cells, like 10% of the tumor cell that expressing these things, expressing the HER2, but the drug would still work because of that bystander effect. It kill the collateral like around the cells around it too. Um, so that kind of generate the new category as you will like with the HER2 low. So basically um, it is the same test that we always do, which is the immunohistochemistry. Um, but instead of, you know, uh, calling her to um, negative, which group, um, any her to expression like zero, one plus, or two plus altogether as conventionally considered as negative, um, now there is a new category called her to low, which um, includes patients with her to IHC one plus and two plus. 
On the other hand, there's actually a new clinical trial now with Destiny Breast 06 trial that's looking at HER2-0 um, because even though sometimes we call it HER2-0, um, there's still kind of small amount of HER2 expression in those tumor too, um, and, but, but in that category, it's still in a clinical trial. We don't know whether it would work or not, but um, uh, it's, in, uh, it's in, included in the clinical trial. So uh, when you, um, you know, so, so when you have patients with HER2 low, which is one plus or two plus, that also estrogen receptor negative, those patients are actually would, you know, normally consider as triple negative breast cancer. So in, in the new trial that was reported at ASCO this year that we're all excited about, that Destiny Breast 04 trial, um, they also included patients with quote-unquote triple negative but has HER2 low expression that also responded well to her in HER2 too. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks. And, um, Question now for um, for Dr. Tarantino. Um, uh, can you please address her HR her two low metastatic breast cancer as it relates to her HR her two plus metastatic breast cancer? So yeah, absolutely. It's it's a great question, and Dr. Shantri has already provided. Uh, a great explanation of what HER2 low is. And when we look in terms of percentages, about two-thirds of all hormone receptor positive HER2 negative tumors actually are HER2 low. So I have low immunohistochemical expression. And this is important since, once again, this study, Destiny Breast 04, explained that we can use um, HER2-targeted antibody drug conjugate like HER2 to target this low expression and this works better than traditional chemotherapy in the metastatic setting. And so this is really important to see that usually in patients with hormone receptor positive HER2 negative or hormone receptor positive HER2 low disease, the standard treatment path is endocrine treatment up front. And when the disease becomes endocrine resistant, uh, chemotherapy, and we have several potential lines of chemotherapy, chemotherapy, but these are not as effective as we would like them to be. And now we just discovered that we have this new option for the two-thirds of the patient that have her to low expression. And as Dr. Shamsi said, also the, the one-third that right now, right now we call her to zero potentially could also be in the future targeted. With ACDC, we need to develop the data. The thing is that this HER2 low expression is very different from the HER2 positive disease. When we talk about HER2 positive breast cancer, regardless of hormone receptor expression, these are HER2 addicted disease. So mm, even just blocking the, the pathway over to the protein HER2 with many drugs that we have works to stop the spreading of the tumor and the progression of the tumor. And so even this drug, HER2, when it was tested in the HER2-positive disease, it showed in impressive results in the Destiny Breast or 3 and other studies. And we don't see these impressive outcomes like in the HER2-positive disease in the HER2-low, although we still see better results than traditional chemotherapy. So the, the armamentarium of drugs, the arsenal of drugs that we have for treating all of these diseases her two positive, her two low, and potentially in the future, her two zero is expanding, and we are learning how to best use these drugs. But we have to remember that they are different entities, and especially her two positive is a different entity for which we have many anti two drugs, whereas for the moment, her two low, only antibody drug conjugates have shown 
in important activity in this setting, mostly this drug HNR2, and also some other drugs that are in development, and then hopefully are going to show similar interesting results. Thank you so much. Thank you. Excellent. And one last question is made um, for Dr. Shanshi. Um, I have a lobectomy a year ago, and I have a mutation EGFR EXON19. Right now I am okay, but I would like to hear more about this mutation and if there is research going on about this at this time. Um, thank you for the question. So, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, we have a lot of next generation sequencing and that looking at specific mutations um, in breast cancer and in any cancer now. Unfortunately, we do not have a whole lot of treatment that, you know, has been shown to um, show benefit in specifically in breast cancer, especially with her two positive breast cancer yet. So with the EGFR mutations, there's actually multiple drugs now that approved for lung cancer, but we do not necessarily know that those medications would work also in breast cancer patient or not. Um, so, but on the other hand, there's actually um, some of the, what we call a basket clinical trial, basically, um, because we, we know that some of the mutation the drug may work regardless of the tumor type. Um, so there are some of these clinical trials called basket um, clinical trial that looking at these specific mutations um, and then some of the drugs that would target the specific mutation across different tumor types. Um, and um, te technically, I'm, I'm not sure whether how are you doing, and I'm glad that they were able to get it out with the lobectomy. Um, but on the other hand, it, um, if um, if you still have some of the disease, uh, with, um, you know that can be measured, um, then it might be a good idea to maybe talk to your uh, provider, your oncologist about you know um, considering some of these clinical trials that are the basket trial that looking at specifically for the mutation that you have. But it's 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 depend on whether you have the measurable disease or not. Because if you don't have any disease left over to be measured, um, then you might not be able to go on a clinical trial. Um, but that is a good thing, though, if there is no disease that can be measured. That's, um, yeah. These are wonderful questions. I have this fantastic group and wonderful speakers as well. Um, I actually, there's a question from Ms. Chatelian in terms of a support group specifically for um, people who are living with, um, with metastatic um, HER2 um, uh, positive uh, breast cancer, if you could comment on um, the support programs that we have available at Cancer Care for, this, for these women. Sure, absolutely. So we do have our general metastatic breast cancer online support group, um, and that would include for the specific diagnosis as well. We have several other breast cancer support groups listed on our website that are on an online platform. Um, we also have uh, local to uh, New York and New Jersey. We do have our one of our live support groups as well. And then nationally, we have several different programs available. So to be able to connect with other people diagnosed with cancer, we have our Ways to Wellness uh, monthly workshop series, which is one of our Coping Circle programs. Um, and we also have a listing of virtual community programs on our website as well. So there are many opportunities to connect with others. Excellent, thank you. And they would just call our hope line. Do you want to give that number out? Uh, 
Sure, yes. So they can, so for our online support groups, for the message board groups, that registration can be done right through the website. So that would be cancercare.org. Um, and that would be under our services and support groups. And then as far as any questions about additional services, our Hopeline number is 1-800-813-4673. Thank you. thank you. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been phenomenal. And I also want to thank all of our uh, participants who really asked such really great questions. And I have to say the, um, the, uh, this we've done, although we've done this program before, I have to say the questions have been phenomenal and our speakers have been phenomenal. So thank you all. Now, we could go on for another hour because we do have many more questions in queue. So I do want to address the issue of those of you who um, have questions that you are waiting to ask and uh, um, you know and and what to do with them. So for those of you who either asked a question, are in queue to ask a question, or have a question that you would like to ask, um, I'd want you all to go back to your treating healthcare team. They of course know you the best. They have all your medical records, and please take what you've learned today back to your treating healthcare team and ask your questions and ask them as often as you need to until you get the answers that you need and that you understand. It's okay to ask a question over and over again because each time you ask the question, you learn something new. And, and um, so that's really very important. And what you've learned today is that all your questions are wonderful that you asked. So that basically, that's our perspective here. There is no bad question. Every question is good and important for you to get an understanding of your question and what you're asking. Um, also, we do not want any one of you to feel alone when coping with, um, with, uh, with her, her two metastatic breast cancer, any type of cancer, we want you to now know that you're part of a community of support and that your healthcare team, who consists of your, your medical oncologist, uh, your radiation oncologist, your um, surgeon, your on oncology nurse, oncology social worker, financial financial navigator, patient navigator. It's a huge group of people in your team. So if you have a question about your concerns, please bring it to your team as well. And you certainly are welcome to contact Cancer Care. And we will be giving you a listing of other resources that we suggest you utilize. We don't want you to go on Google and just Google a question randomly because we want you to go to sites that are credible. And what that means is that the site is checked regularly by expert medical and psychosocial people. So the information you get is up to date because what you heard today is that new treatments are evolving all the time and we don't want you to read something that's old information or that's someone's opinion and not evidence-based. That's really very important. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.